when I, when I brought this message last week at East, I asked the question, have you ever come across something unexpected? But as soon as I asked it, I realized it's kind of a ridiculous question, right? There isn't any of us that haven't come across things that are unexpected. And in our text tonight, the next one in our series in Acts, and, and I'm gonna invite you because we don't have the displays, if you've got your Bible with you or if you've got a Bible app that's with you, I'd invite you to scroll to, our text is from Acts 16. And so that's where we'll be. But <clears throat> I was thinking about unexpected stuff and two things came to my mind right away. One of them was, uh, this was about three weeks ago, if I remember right. We were coming back from a wedding. It was a Saturday night and it was late. We were coming up I-94 in the dark and all of a sudden, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, there was a deer and I couldn't safely miss it. I suppose if I would have swerved hard enough, I might have missed the deer, but that would have been significantly more dangerous. So <clears throat> I hit the deer, wrinkled up the front corner of my car. It's, you know, it's just, it's just stuff, got it fixed. It was not a big deal. But I remember that. Why? Because that was not a good night. That, I don't wanna relive that. There was a second thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about unexpected things, and this goes back a little over a year. In June of 2020, my boss came to me and said, because of the policy that comes as a result of COVID and some other things, uh, we're gonna have to terminate your position. And within a month's time, from the time the end of that position, I had a letter in my hand, a letter of call to come and be the pastor at Triumph West. Completely unexpected but unexpected in a very different way. It's not that, it's not like oh, I hit a deer, this is gonna be a hassle, oh, problems, and now how do I get home and is everything gonna be okay? But, but God, I thought this was gonna be a big, huge, problematic thing and I didn't know what was coming next. And God had a plan and a provision for us that was completely unexpected. And I tell those two stories for this reason. Most of the time, the things that are most memorable, the unexpected things that are most memorable are the things that are either kind of bad or those things that are really good. You know, the deer on the road that we don't hit was unexpected, but we don't really think about that very much. Today in our text, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companion Silas, now you may remember if you've been following us, following with us through Acts, uh, Paul's first missionary trip was with Barnabas. 
Barnabas was kind of Paul's mentor. But now Paul and Barnabas have each taken on their own ministry partners and gone in two different directions. And so Paul and Silas find themselves in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And, and, and this is where we're going to start reading about it from Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to start with verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment because I could put a map up here if the projector was working right, but I don't know that the map really tells us anything. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in here who can think of where's Phrygia and Bithynia and Mysia. If so, I want to meet you because the old geography teacher in me wants to, to say hi and commend whoever taught you geography. But Here's the reality. The reality is Paul and his companions want to move north into Asia Minor. That's where they think they should be going. And for some reason, God turns their steps. And they think, okay, then let's move further south and not quite so far north and more west. And they can't go that way. And so they end up at this town of Troas. Troas is, a, is on, uh, that's where they hit the sea. It's where they hit the Aegean Sea and they can't go any further. But here's the point I want to make about this. It doesn't have anything to do with the names of the cities, which if I'm going to be really honest with you, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing them right. But if you just read them confidently, everybody thinks that's the right way to say it. But it's not about the names of the cities. Paul and Silas end up in a place that is at least third on their list of places they expected to go. What's interesting about that is that Paul and Silas didn't do what I sometimes catch myself doing. Sometimes if I've got a plan and my plan isn't working out, I kind of take the role or take the position that I'm just going to sit here until I get word from the Lord on where to go. They didn't sit. They didn't stop and wait. They kept moving until they got to Troas. And when they got to Troas having not been able to go north and having not been able to go through Mysia, they, now they hit the sea. Now where do we go? And we aren't told how they were directed in that part of the journey. <clears throat> but then as we go back to the scripture, we're going to see how they were directed from there. So I'll pick it up at verse 9. During the night, 
Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice that now Luke, the writer of Acts, is now using the pronoun we. Luke has joined Paul and Silas, and Luke says, we've determined to go to Macedonia, which honestly is a place, it's reasonable for them to go, that's not our first choice. Macedonia is northern Greece, There aren't very many Jews, if any, in northern Greece. There are very, very few worshipers of the one true God. And and Paul's MO is to go preach in the synagogue first. There is no synagogue in most of the cities in Macedonia. But if God is taking us there, then that's where we're going to go. So reading again, picking it up at verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace and the next day went on to Neapolis and from there we traveled to Philippi. Oh, there's a name it'll be good to remember. That town's name we want to hang on to. They got to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia and we stayed there several days. A couple of words about Philippi. First of all, kind of spoiler alert. This series in Acts is going to take us to Labor Day through the summer. Our next series is going to be preaching through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. The church that we're going to read about him, we're going to read about the earliest beginnings of this church here tonight. And that became a thriving church. And our next study is going to be looking at his letter to this thriving church years later. Philippi is a Roman colony. And that means something in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, to be a colony doesn't simply mean you're a city where we are in charge. To be a colony is to say that if you're a citizen of Philippi, you're also a citizen of the city of Rome. Not just a citizen of the Roman Empire, but a citizen of the city of Rome. Being a citizen of Rome had its perks. And Luke writes that Philippi was the leading city in Macedonia. It's not the leading city in Macedonia because it has a better economy than everybody else, although the economy probably was pretty good. It's not the leading city in Macedonia because it was the most beautiful place. It's a leading city of Macedonia because military personnel and retired uh, people with status from Rome who were Roman citizens that wanted to get out of Rome. If they wanted to leave the city, one of the places they could go was Philippi. 
It was attractive to them because they could be out of the big city and still retain all the benefits of their citizenship in Rome. So it was a Greek city full of Roman citizens, neither of which would make it first on my list of a place to bring the gospel. Back to the text at verse 13. Luke continues to write the story. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those who was listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to our home. She said, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Persuaded them that she was both, that both of these things, that she was a believer in the Lord and that they should stay at her house. So now they have a, a center of operations there at Lydia's house. They stayed there for a few days. And now they have a home base in the city. And I, for the sake of time, I'm gonna skip several verses here, but the next piece of the story is as they're going around the city, there's a possessed, a demon-possessed girl, a slave girl who has... Scripture uses, Luke uses this phrase, she had a spirit of divination, meaning she could tell the future. We might use a phrase psychic, might be something like that. And she was a slave and her slave owners were making a profit off of her ability to tell the future. And eventually, she comes up and is kind of a nuisance to Paul and Silas. And so Paul and Silas turn and cast out the demon. And she is set free from her demon possession. The problem is the owners, the people who are making a profit of, out of, off of this slave girl are now out the cash. All of a sudden, they have lost their source of income, or at least one of them, and they get frustrated and they swear out a warrant against the apostles, and the apostles are arrested and thrown in prison. And I'm going to pick it up with Paul and Silas in prison, chained with chains that would have been attached to the wall, maybe chained by their both their wrists and their ankles, maybe only one or the other. And they're in prison. And we pick the story up that night at about midnight. So this jumps ahead to verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them like they had a choice right? I mean, they're in prison. If you can hear them, you're listening. 
Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And, and as a good Roman soldier, he knew that to be delinquent in your duty to the point where your prisoners escape was punishable by death. So he assumed these prisoners have gone, they're gonna take my life anyway. He draws his sword to take his own life. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. And I do wonder what his pulse rate was in those moments where the torches were on their way so that he could verify what Paul was saying. Called for lights, he rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his own house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And if Lydia, this female merchant was an unlikely convert as the first recorded convert to Judaism. This guy, even more so, he represents the Roman establishment. He's the one charged with keeping Paul and Silas in prison. And yet, he recognizes that the gospel is for him. This message that they've been bringing is for him. That would not have been what I predicted at all. And in Philippi, we have this whole collection of unexpected People I wouldn't expect in a place I wouldn't expect having a reaction to Paul that I wouldn't have expected. Think about it. It's a Greek city full of Roman citizens and people worshiping a Jewish Messiah in the house of a foreign female entrepreneur led in part by a Roman prison guard. Nobody would have called that. Nobody saw that coming. And yet these are the people that God draws to himself. 
To be really honest, it's possible that some of you here with us tonight feel like you kind of belong in the unexpected category. Maybe you feel like Lydia, out of place, in a foreign land. Maybe you're in your home city, but church feels like a foreign place. Maybe you have a tendency to think, Pastor Tony, if you only knew the stuff that I've said, done, thought, whatever. If you only knew the place I was really from, Lydia might have wondered, how does a lady from Thyatira, out of place in Macedonia, how is it that I end up responding to the gospel? Or, or, maybe, or maybe like the Roman jailer, you feel like you've spent too long on the wrong side. And this isn't what people like me do. If, if that's you, or if even there's a part of it that's you, and, and I'll be honest, sometimes that's me. Sometimes I look at my life and I go, how do I end up? How is it that this gospel is for me? But if that's you, the response that Paul and Silas give to the jailer is so simple. When he asks, what do I do to be saved? They simply say, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. Note they didn't say believe there was a Jesus. They didn't say believe things about Jesus. But that word, that preposition is the word in, believe in let what you believe be wrapped up in Jesus. And they also use this phrase, Lord. And to use the phrase, Lord, it indicates that you not only know that person has authority, but you will submit to that authority. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Perhaps the most unexpected thing of all is that this message this message of salvation in Jesus, perhaps the most unexpected thing of all is that that message is for me. And that message is for you. 
It's unexpected, but it is good. Oh, it is so good.